Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I'm grateful for our offerings of music and for the way in which they inspire us to creatively, imaginatively, and authentically give back to one another and to God the gifts that God has given us and to do so selflessly and for good. Years ago, as a teenager, I was in a handbell choir. I had trouble with two bells. We continue our story of Gideon. Gideon, a judge from the Old Testament. The book of Judges is a collection of leaders, the people of Israel. It was a cycle of God being very clear about what he wanted of his people and their faithfulness until there was disobedience. And of course, that meant calamity and difficulty and hardship. But God always came to the rescue. And this cycle repeated itself over and over and over again. In Judges, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn much about God. And we're reminded once again of how important it is for us to be obedient to God's call. So Gideon. Well, Gideon, as we remember, his story is one that many of us can empathize with. We, we feel outmanned. We feel as though we're not up to the challenge. We feel like we've been plucked for something much bigger than we could ever do and um, execute ourselves. But time and time again, God provides a way for Gideon to do more than what he thought he could do. And we find ourselves on the eve of battle. God has brought Gideon to this place to defend the people of Israel against the annual raids of the Midianites, a vast army that would come in and take from them their crops and their valuables, creating terror. This is not what God wanted for his people. And so he has tasked Gideon with raising raising an army to take on these invaders. Let's listen to how this story ends. From Judges chapter 7, beginning with verse 9. That same night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, attack the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you fear to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to attack the camp. Then Gideon went down with his servant Pura to the outposts of the armed men that were in the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley as thick as locusts, and their camels were without number, countless as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, I had a dream. And in it, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell. It turned upside down and the tent collapsed. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand, God has given Midian and all the army. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped 
And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Get up, for the Lord has given the army of Midian into your hand. After he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands of all of them and emptied jars with torches inside the jars, he said to them, Look at me and do the same. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets around the whole camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle of watch, middle watch when they had just set the watch, and they, they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. So the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars, holding in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow, and they cried, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place and all around the camp, and all the men in camp ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow and against all the army, and the army fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joshua Chamberlain stood there just inside the tree line, pulling on his beard and wondering, how did I get here? He looks down the small rise of a valley in southern Pennsylvania, and he thought about the taste of his mother's Christmas pudding back in Maine. He was an academician, for goodness sake. He was a a college professor of theology, no less. How did it come to this, he thought. His direction, his orders were clear. Hold the line at all costs. But as he swatted away a gnat in the midst of that midsummer heat and humidity, a wisp of smoke caught his eye on the far horizon. It was the town. It, too, had now fallen. The town's name was Gettysburg. He was still reeling from the report that he had just received from his junior officers. What they told him gave him a deep sense of nausea of the soul. They had started out the day with 300 men, all volunteers from Maine in the regiment that he led as a 24-year-old colonel. And yet they were down to no more than 80 men. And why? Because they were greatly outnumbered, 10 to 1, by two regiments from Alabama that kept charging up the rise one time, two times, three and four, and they were preparing for a fifth. Certainly they knew that they were down to just 80 men, a line full of holes that if they failed, a way down to Washington, D.C. would be made available to them. Surely the right thing to do would have been to, to retreat, or better yet, to hand over his sword and to surrender 
They had no ammunition left. So what seemed to Joshua Chamberlain as though it had been minutes, if not hours, it had been just seconds since his junior officers had told him the state of things. And the colonel had but one word in response. Bayonets. Which of course meant that they were going to engage in close contact. They, they put the bayonets on the end of their guns and they prepared to do what history now records as a breathtaking right wheel maneuver. Down the mountain with gravity, energy, and the element of surprise on their heels to encounter an army far more vast than anything that they could present. The command of charge rang out on that ridgeline and they drove down the valley. And in but minutes, these 80 soldiers would capture thousands of rebel Confederates. According to author Mark Batterson, one man's courage saved the day, saved the war, and saved the Union. Charge. It was the one word that Gideon could just not quite find the strength to proclaim. He's on the eve of battle himself, and like Chamberlain, he found himself with terrible odds. God had reduced his army from over 30,000 down to 300. And why? Because God was a jealous God and didn't want the Israelites to claim victory for themselves. No, God was going to prove once and for all what he could do. But still, Gideon's just not sure. God has asked much of him. But with this invading army now spread out in front of him, Gideon once again seems to be wavering. Will he advance? Will he yell out the order charge? Or will he instead retreat into his doubts, his anxiety, and his fear? Like us, Gideon still needs encouragement and assurance. As we know, the kind of encouragement that we need is not just a one-time event, is it? It's not just something that we can claim from many years ago, from something we heard or something we sensed. No, we need encouragement continually. It's why, I would argue, you're here. It's why, I would argue, you're tuning in. It's because you desperately need reassurance that God has not brought us to this moment to forsake us, but rather has brought us this moment on faith to take us one step further this afternoon, tonight, and tomorrow. Now, the fact that Gideon needed continual encouragement was not a revelation to God. God's been providing it all along the way. And in many ways, God takes it one step at a time with Gideon. One thing that I find encouraging about this story is that God 
doesn't lose his temper with Gideon, even though there are numerous places where he could have. No, he recognized that Gideon needed a constant source of encouragement. But now, Gideon needs encouragement like he's never needed it before. Now, God's clear at the top of our passage today that he will deliver the enemy into his hands. But, God says, if you fear to attack, go down to the camp with your servant and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to attack the camp. So God invites Gideon to become a spy and creeps down into the invading army at night. And what he hears is nothing short of breathtaking. He hears one man report a dream he just had to another. And it's as strange as the kind of dreams that you have. This enemy invader has had a dream of a big cake that rolls down the hill and takes out a tent. And they interpret this as a bad omen. That in fact, Gideon is going to do just the same thing. Coming down the hill, taking out the tent, making it clear once and for all that Gideon and Israel will prevail. God gives Gideon a glimpse of what's about to happen. And he does so through a dream. Dreams, as we know, are a very familiar way that God conveys and reveals encouragement and direction to God's people throughout the entirety of his narrative. The dream that Gideon overhears gives him the courage to proceed. When I was a young man, I considered following in the footsteps of my grandfather, my father, and my older brother. My grandfather served in the South Pacific in World War II in the Navy. My father served as a Marine in the early 1960s, and my brother made a career of the military in the United States Air Force, retiring as a Lieutenant Colonel and as a veteran of the Iraq War. So when I was 15, 16, I seriously considered becoming a soldier as they had, even going so far as to learn more about and visit the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. The prospect of that kind of service stirred me and inspired me. And then I had a dream. A dream like those you've had that had gravity. I found myself in the trenches in this dream. It was World War I. It was dark. It was gray. The trenches were ankle deep in water. I was not alone, but remember staring out across a battlefield to the other side, to the German line. Between the two trenches, I could see the living and the dying, the casualties there. My fellow soldiers were there in the trench preparing to repel an attack. And I remember taking the rifle 
and placing it on the lip of the trench when someone came up beside me and put their hand on my shoulder and pulled the rifle away from me and said, no. Instead, this individual pointed out to the battlefield with a book in his hand and he said, that is your place. And immediately I found myself running between those who had fallen with a book in my hand, kneeling down, reading from a book that would be the Bible. Awakening, I was startled at what this felt like and what this could have meant. And although looking back, I recognize that there could have been many interpretations, I sensed in that moment a peace and a direction that I needed to pursue a different kind of service. I suspect you've had dreams like this too. And if not, perhaps you should get better sleep. Because of Gideon's experience with God's encouragement, Gideon is able to summon the courage he needed to yell charge so that his tiny army could begin their attack. Now, it takes more than just courage to succeed, doesn't it? And it's a good thing that Gideon had a plan, a plan, I might add, that is exceedingly imaginative. You may recall from the story itself that Gideon acts faithfully and creatively to do something great. Number one, he attacks at night, dividing up his 300 men into three groups of 100 men surrounding the vast army. He spreads them out to look larger than they are. Surrounding the camp, he seeks to confuse those who are asleep in their tents in a strange but certainly effective way. He outfitted each of his men with a lamp and a jar to conceal the invading army that they were. They also had with them not only a sword, but trumpets. And at the right moment, they were to take out their lamp, smash the jar, and blow their trumpets now. A few things that you need to know. We remember the story, of course, of Jericho and the number of priests that blew trumpets. That was seven trumpets that blew and the walls came a-tumbling down. Imagine 300 trumpets blaring, which for those of us who live in Silva and Kaluuya is not hard to imagine, for we can hear the trumpets blaring most every Saturday at Western Carolina University as the Pride of the Mountains band plays. Imagine that with the sound of crashing jars in the middle of the night. Well, Rebecca and I don't have to. We were awakened 
about a year ago by a cacophony of sound, literally a thunderous crash of something happening in our house. We leapt out of bed in the middle of the night, running directly for our children's rooms to find that they were sleeping through the event, but we were not. For going downstairs, we found out that the little plastic pegs that held up the cabinets of all of our kitchen dishes and bowls had collapsed and fallen one on top of another on top of another, spilling out all of our dishware on the floor. It was a sound that awakened the dead in Rebecca and me, but clearly not Zeb and Ellen. So yes, Gideon's strategy was more than effective. He might have been outmanned, but he was not outsmarted. The sound and the fury, talk about shock and awe. This is what you do, people, when your task is great and your resources are few. Growing up in the church, one of my favorite hymns was Onward Christian Soldiers. I can see by your nodding that you're familiar with it. I loved to sing this as a child. I mean, it is stirring. It is triumphant. Onward Christian Soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Over the years, my appetite for this song has waned. The more and more I have studied the Bible, the more and more I have read the Gospels, I've found myself conflicted and reticent to sing this spiritualized battle song. Onward? Yes, certainly. Marching as to war? Like many of you, I too have wrestled with the violent and gruesome tales of God's people engaging in warfare in the Old Testament. Here's the thing. The Old Testament is descriptive of God's relationship with his people. It's not always prescriptive. And as people of faith, it's important to know the difference. When we read the story of Abraham seeking to sacrifice his son Isaac, I doubt there are many of us that find that that is a prescription for how we are to live. The Old Testament, like the entirety of the Bible, teaches us about God and about ourselves. And being a people of a new covenant is not at odds with the old one as much as it is a fulfillment of God's hope that's been with us throughout the entirety of his relationship with us. Jesus calls this the kingdom of, kingdom of God, and in him it's come. 
Remember, he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. And many, even in Jesus' day and age, wished that he had received the call of Gideon. That is, to be a warrior prince. But any of us who are students of the gospel know that that is part of the reason why he was crucified himself. Because he was not the warrior David that people wanted him to be. To throw off the Roman oppressors. Now that was not Christ's call. No, our call is not the call of Gideon, but the call of Christ. And that is courage to love our enemies. Serving creatively here at First Baptist Church and your places of employment and at school and and always and imaginatively proclaiming Christ's words. So yes, the word onward works. Onward, forward, tomorrow, progress, charge. No, I don't believe my call is one of warrior. But one is one of pastor, one who serves. And the images and the metaphors are rich, aren't they? And we have that throughout God's story. But brothers and sisters, we must be clear about what God commands us to do. We heard that earlier in Matthew 28. To go into all the nations, teaching, proclaiming, sharing good news, inviting others alongside us to do as Christ commands, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The task that God is calling us to do is no small feat. No, we may not be facing a valley full of enemies, but the work that we've been called to is great and we are outnumbered. And help seems to always be dwindling. The fields are plentiful, but the workers are few, I believe Jesus said, and we know what that feels like. To be called to something great but to see fewer and fewer people at church conferences or committee meetings or in our pews to do the work that God has called us to do. Brothers and sisters, if you've heard nothing, hear this. That's when God does God's best work. But when God calls us to serve, it's important for us to know exactly what it is he wants us to do. And that's to have courage, to be thoughtful and creative as Gideon was, to engage in love and in service, in obedience to Christ in all things. You know, Colonel Joshua, Chamberlain, and Gideon both had to punch above their weight class. They both showed courage in their challenges. 
But Chamberlain made his decision to engage after receiving good intelligence and knowing what the reality was and what the stakes were. And I have to believe that one of the motivating factors for him was recognizing that no one was coming to their rescue. They were going to have to be the answer to their own prayers. They just had to be willing to charge. Let us pray. God, there are times when we feel alone, outmaneuvered, and outmanned. And yet, we take solace in the fact that that's when you do your best work. So God, give us the courage to realize that we are exactly what we need because you've brought us to this place not to forsake us, but to deliver us into a position where we can be your salt and your light. We pray, God, that you might give us the courage to engage even though we may want to retreat. Help us to see that we do not hold this line alone, that you've called us to link arms and to serve faithfully and imaginatively. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.